You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Awesome. Hey. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hey, watch you find a seat if you can this morning. Thanks so much for the invitation. It feels like coming home to be here at Mercy Culture. I love your house. love what God uh, is, is doing here. I told Pastor Jasmine this during worship. I said, nobody is doing it like Mercy Culture. And it's just incredible, just the worship and the anointing, how many talented pastors and leaders you have in this house. You know, great churches don't just happen. They're built. And they're built by virtue of great leaders, and you have great leaders in this house. And so thank you for the invite. I really do consider it an honor and a privilege to stand behind uh, this pulpit today. I love your pastors, Pastors Landon and uh, Heather Schott. I met Pastor Landon many years ago. We happened to be booked at the same youth conference in the nation uh, of India, and uh, God made us fast friends. Uh, Really, there was nothing else to do there except become friends or enemies, so we chose to become friends. Uh, but uh, I'm in ministry today as the result of Pastor Landon's influence and his love in my life, and so I'm just excited to be able to partner uh, with you guys. I know that you sense this to be true as well, but it just feels like revival when I'm here on Sunday morning. And what's incredible about what you have happening here is that uh, normally churches only have a feeling like this, maybe once a year at like conference or something, and y'all have it every Sunday morning, and that's special, that's sacred. Y'all got oil in this house, and so, man, I know you're thankful. I love the local church, because in the local church, the God who is everywhere decides to be somewhere. And when the omnipresent God decides to be somewhere, your life will never be the same. (laughs) No, I know God is everywhere. No, you meet God at the Applebee's after church. No, I know God is everywhere. But in the local church, the God who is everywhere decides to be somewhere. (laughs) And the train of his robe fills the temple. And the beauty of the train of his robe filling the temple is that wherever you sit, you're just one reach out from grabbing a hold of the hem of his garment. And that's the place where his anointing flows from. That's the place where his virtue flows from. It's like Jesus walking in the cities and he turns around. He says, who touched me? The disciples say, you're crazy. Everybody's touching you. He says, no, there was a woman with great faith. I felt virtue come out of me. I'm saying, who touched me? And I would just, I just, it's just, it, it, it bears repeating this morning because it's, it's true in my spirit. There, there, there's a lot of folks who are, who are crowding around Jesus, but there's a few who with great faith and desperation grab a hold of the hem of his garment. And God has found those type of people in this type of house. And I'm just telling you, friends, you're in the right place this morning to see God do something supernatural in your life. Not because there's anything special about us, but because there is everything special about him. And that's why the scriptures say to the one who was and is and is to come, be all glory, honor, power in the church, both now and forever. Amen. The greatest privilege we have is gathering on this side of heaven in a wedding rehearsal for what we will happen there in all of eternity. Come on, friend. It's a good day to perform best faith in Jesus. It's a good day to find the joy of your salvation. Come on, you could have been dead. In fact, you should have been dead. You could have been lost. You should have been lost. You should have been on the side of the road, OD, dead, left behind. But in the fullness of time, God reached into the miry clay and he said, hell lost another one. This one belongs to me. You were the one that he went after when he left the 99. And today you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because you've entered into a right relationship with the 
Father through the torn veil of his flesh. Oh, it's the best news that there's ever been. You got a God who is for you, not against you. And there's a lot of world religions, but there is only one empty grave and it belongs to my Jesus. Would you stand up on your feet one more time and give him a great shout in four words. Awesome. Well, I said, let me preach for a minute here. I want to share with you just this morning out of the book of 2 Corinthians, where Paul writes the church in Corinth. It's a church that he plants. And if you ever think your church is messy, just stay out of the New Testament. And if you ever find a perfect church, don't show up. You're going to ruin it on day one. And I love that God works with messy people because there's no other kind. That's why I'm encouraged when I read the New Testament. I'm like, man, if God can use these people, he can use anybody. It proves that God has a sense of humor. It proves that you're not strong enough to screw it up. It proves that when God called you, he factored in all of your dumb choices and still put his anointing on your life. So Paul's writing the church in Corinth. In fact, he's got to write them three different times because they don't get it the first two times. But Paul mentions that one of the letters got lost, so that's why we only have first and second Corinthians. But he's not writing them as an angry teacher, but instead as a loving father. And he's saying, I've seen what's around the curve. I've seen where this type of living leads. I've seen what a heart not tuned to the father will create inside of you. So hear me as a father in the faith. And you see Paul in a loving way. As a true father to these spiritual children, work to the best of his ability with the Spirit's help to help guide them in the way that they should go, that they would never depart from it. But Paul is writing one of the major cities in the known world. Corinth is a place of philosophy, they're a place of culture, they're a place of art, they're a place of creativity, they are a place of commerce, they become one of the key cities that divide commerce between the east and the west. It is a major metroplex in the known world. And Paul plants a church in Corinth. I think about Corinth like I think about major cities in our world today. It was a place where every culture collided. As people traveled from around the world for the purpose, for the purpose of business and, and pleasure. Corinth was very religious. The problem was they was just religious in the wrong direction. Now the city worshiped the goddess Aphrodite and they built her a temple located in the middle of the city. And at this temple over a thousand professional prostitutes committed acts of fornication on the temple steps as a form of worship to the goddess they served. Today, this is what remains of Aphrodite's temple. If you were to travel to Corinth, you could see its ruins. In many ways, I feel like this is a prophetic picture of what it looks like to build your life on anything less than the unchanging words of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hear me, friend, one life will soon be passed. It is only what is done for Jesus that will last. <laughs> and Paul writes, Corinth, they're a city lost in idolatrous worship and sexual fornication. 
Paul is writing a church that is fully immersed in a spiritual war. And the forefront of the spiritual war was manifesting through the sexual deviancy of the culture. Now, I'm not preaching about sex this morning, but I want you to understand the context of why Paul writes the church in the manner he does. Don't tell me sex isn't spiritual. Don't tell me sex isn't religious. We live in a world that is trying to divorce sex from its inherently spiritual nature by telling people it's no big deal, we're just hooking up, it don't mean anything anyways. Friend, if you believe the lie that sex isn't spiritual, you will treat what is sacred as that which is common and you will end up with an injured heart. And if you think abstinence is hard, try breaking a soul tie. Listen, Corinth used, <laughs> Corinth used sexual depravity to appease their gods. Hear me, and our culture uses sexual depravity to appease ours. We call it choice, we call it freedom, we call it exploration, we call it meaningless, we call it empowering, but what it really is, is worship. The question is not, does humanity worship? It is simply, what does humanity worship? See, our hedonistic culture, which really exists as a weaponized form of Epicureanism, it worships sex as the celebration of an ungoverned and self-determined life. It is on my terms, it is with my body, it is my choice, it is my life, and ain't nobody gonna tell me different. Hear me, friends, sex is spiritual because it's covenantal in nature. Sex is spiritual because God created it and he ordained it. Sex is spiritual because it's the act of uniting opposites for the purpose of fulfilling God's command to be fruitful and multiply. And if you didn't already know, the religion of sex is on a crash course collision with Christianity. The religion of sex proclaims if it feels right, it is right. The religion of sex proclaims gender is a construct and it can be changed whenever or however you want. The religion of sex proclaims I will not abide by boundary scripture, common sense, or covenant. The religion of sex proclaims the education and indoctrination of your children belongs to the state. The religion of sex proclaims my highest allegiance is towards my own satisfaction and pleasure and anything that gets in the way of that pursuit must be destroyed. But the gospel proclaims your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Friend, the culture wars are simply a proxy for the spiritual wars. So you better get prepared to fight. I love how sanctimonious religious folks talk down about the culture wars. Like the outside world is so secular and nasty that all we should do is kind of crowd in our dead churches and Talk about these ethereal spiritual constructs and concepts that have no real world application. No, the gospel has power because at its core, it's a transformative doctrine. At its core, it is rooted in the reality of a risen Jesus. Because at its core, it calls every man and woman to account. Because at its core, it calls entire nations into the valley of decision and says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Either you will choose the gods of Egypt or you will choose the gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Friend, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll separate thoughts and intents. It'll separate bone and marrow. It ain't a chainsaw to hurt, but it is a scalpel to heal. And the gospels are not a window into anybody else's life. They're a mirror into your own life. And so before you point your finger at somebody else, just allow the spirit of God to do work on you. But hear me, our lives are founded on what God says to be true. 
because he is the original designer, it is his sovereign prerogative to determine what is true about gender, sex, family, life, and every other related issue in our world today. Now watch, Paul says this, I love this. I love whenever Paul give a big list of sins. Because every time Paul give a big list of sins, he always follows it up with a statement. It's always like he's engaging the readers, you're getting into it, you're reading, and you're thinking, man, thank God I'm not like that. And then he always hits you with a power statement. So watch this, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, the drunkards, extortioners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then I love this, verse 11. And such were some of you. Some people love a church as long as the pastor don't talk about their sin. See, that's why some people can't stay planted in the church longer than six weeks. And then everywhere they go, it stinks, but they don't realize the stench is them. Why? Because you take you with you wherever you go. Well, pastor, the last 14 churches all smelled bad to me. Friend, it's you. It's easy to be angry at people who sin differently than us, isn't it? I love how Paul give a big list. And then he hits him and he goes, but such were some of you, but the story don't end there. He says, but you was washed and you was sanctified and you was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of God. And friend, that is our testimony this morning. This is who I was, but it pales in comparison to who I am becoming because in the fullness of time, I was washed in his blood. Oh, I was sanctified in his blood. I was justified by his blood. I am not the sum total of my mistakes. I am the sum total of a man who hung on the cross and wiped my debt away and declared it is finished. That's who I am. And see this Jesus, he said, come let us reason together. Though your sins were as scarlet, let me make them as white as snow. All you gotta do is put faith in his finished work. No, you won't get it all right. Now you make mistakes, but my Bible said the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. Which means righteousness is not dependent on how many times I fall. Righteousness is dependent on my ability to trust God to help me get back up. You've fallen seven times, today's a good day to get back up. Because I serve the God who changes not. But the only thing that's new about him every morning is his mercy. He got new mercy for me on Sunday. And he got new mercy for me on Monday. And he got new mercy for me on Tuesday. In fact, as long as I live, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But what, but, 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 so were some of you. And then God washed you in his blood. And you entered in through the veil of the torn flesh of the son. Because when Christ died, you died. And when he was raised, you was raised unto new life. And if the grave couldn't hold Jesus, friend, the grave will not hold you. There will come a day where you hear a great shout and a trumpet blast from heaven and the clouds will roll back like a scroll and the one who we pierce, we will see descend with the angels. And in the same manner he went up, he will come back down and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive will be caught up with him in the air and we will see him face to face. Friend, I am not living for the approval of Babylon, I am living for well done, good and 
See, Fred, this is, let me preach for a minute. This is important because scripture isn't just inspired. Watch, scripture isn't just inspired. It actually has the authority to direct our lives. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God breathed, not just the ones you like. All scripture is God breathed, all of it. Genesis through Revelation, all scripture is God breathed. There is a movement today to divorce scripture from its authority. Like those were just the opinions of Paul. Those were just the reflections of John. Those are just the ideas of Luke. They don't really carry any weight to course correct my life. Really what people are saying is I disagree with what the text says, so instead I will become the sovereign source of authority in my own life. Friend, I am not sharing my opinions on Sunday morning because pastoral opinions do not change history. I am simply here to tell you what the book says. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will receive the word of God. My mind is open. My heart is ready. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. You are what the book says you are, and you have what the book says you have. Oh, I got the authority to pull down strongholds. I got the authority to heal the sick. I got the authority to cast out demons. I got the authority to live righteous. I've got the authority to produce wealth. Oh, I've got the authority to raise a righteous family in Fort Worth. I've got authority because the book says I do. Listen, following Jesus is not a popularity contest. The world hated him and they will hate you too. Jesus says, be of good cheer. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. This don't get voted on every four years. The king I serve wasn't voted in and he cannot be voted out. And the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of our king. And to the increase of his kingdom and his government, there will be no end. I don't pledge allegiance to the elephant. I don't pledge allegiance to the donkey. I pledge allegiance to the wounded lamb at the center of the universe who bought me back and redeemed my life from the pits. I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. I'm gonna preach a little bit, 2 Corinthians 3. Watch what he says, I love what Paul tells the church, watch. He says this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. He didn't say you are transformed, he said you are being transformed. I am saved and I am being saved. Oh, it's a step-by-step -step process, it's a day-by-day -day journey. Every day I'm looking a little bit more like him and a little bit less like what he saved me from. That's why I can't afford to judge somebody else's story because I don't know what page of the narrative you're in. God's working on me, I'm gonna give God room to work on you and together, how can two walk together unless they agree? Let's continue walking even if you're in chapter two and I'm in chapter three. I'm gonna give you the same grace God give me to continue to work on your life as well. You are being transformed.
You're not perfectly trans. You are being transformed. Nothing worse than a Christian walking around acting like they graduated out of discipleship. And by the way, why do we got a PhD in everybody else's sin, but a GED in our own? I'm just saying you being transformed. Well, pastor, I was raised in church. I was born in church. I was conceived in church. Listen, I don't care. You are being transformed. Well, my Bible's autographed by Moses. I'm sure it is. You are being transformed. Therefore, since watch, through God's mercy, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. See, the church in Corinth, they struggle with this reality. We've given our lives to Christ, but this culture is so dominated by depravity, we find ourselves easily given over to our past lives. And Paul writes this young church as a father in the faith. With great anguish and pain, he spends the majority of his letters simply reminding these Christians in Corinth of who God says they are. Can I tell you the greatest way we encourage others into righteousness is by simply reminding them of who God says they are. Righteousness is your identity. Grace and mercy is your portion. Shame and condemnation is not your inheritance. Brokenness is not your future. I have never once found shame to be a good motivator for transformation. In fact, it's when I know I don't deserve grace and yet I have found it anyways that it truly causes me to want to live in the light. Friend, the gospel is not shame on you. It is shame off you. Now watch, if you're a believer in this room, you are either in full-time ministry or you are a fraud. You pick. If you a believer in this room, you are either in full-time ministry or you're a fraud. You pick. See, in the West, we love to divide between the secular and the sacred, but I'm telling you, there is no atmosphere you will ever walk into in which God is not king. And anywhere I go that he's king, I become his loyal subject and ambassador. That means if I'm working at Barista, I'm still serving King Jesus. That means if I'm a creative designer working for Apple, I'm still serving King Jesus. That means whether I preach on stage with a title, I'm still serving King Jesus. That's why the Bible says, whatever you do, do it as all under the Lord. No, I'm a walking, living, breathing ambassador from another reality. I am not waiting on revival. I am a living, breathing, 24-7 revival. God is not waiting on, we are not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. <laughs> That's why in Isaiah 6, when he has his vision, in the year King Uzziah died, in the year political leaven was cleared from my eyes, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. The question is not, is God still speaking? It's, is his church still listening? He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He who has eyes, let him see what the Spirit is doing in the church. Friend, you are in the ministry of transformation. I wish day by day you are looking more like Jesus and less like what he rescued you from. Transformation in the Greek is the word metamorpho. It's where we get the English word metamorphosis. It means the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form. If God can take a caterpillar and turn it into a butterfly in under three weeks, just imagine what he can do with your life. 
If God can take a tadpole and turn it into a frog, don't tell me he can't transform your life as well. Friend, to be transformed is to become what God has always intended you to be. It is not destroying your life, it is revealing your life. See, there seemed to be this Gnostic belief today that if God truly loved us, he'd have no desire to change us. But what hides behind this falsehood is the idea that God's love only exists to affirm our dysfunction instead of transform our dysfunction. Friend, the most powerful change agent in the entire universe is the love of God. It's what takes the attic and makes them sober. It's what takes the leper and makes him cleanse. It's what takes the woman caught in the act of prostitution and makes her unashamed. It's what takes the tax collector and makes him generous. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves you too much to leave you the same. God doesn't love the transformed version of me any more or less. I don't develop to earn his love. I develop out of the revelation that I have so radically been loved. And Paul continues, I love this, these five words. We do not lose heart. You know what Paul is telling the church in Corinth? You do not have permission to lose heart. You can lose a lot of other things but the heart is the wellspring of life. For your entire existence springs up from your heart. You have a healthy heart, you'll have a healthy life. You'll have an unhealthy heart, no matter how much money you got, how much fame you got, how popular you are on social media, wherever you go, toxicity will creep out. You do not have permission to lose heart. See, we live in such a materialistic culture that we celebrate when the chest looks good, even when the lungs are filled with cancer. It looked good on the outside, but you know what Jesus called that? A whitewashed tomb filled with dead men's bones. We're spending money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. Because we're so steeped in materialism that unless you can opine at the false veneer of what surrounds me. Somehow I'm scared to death that you'll see through all of that to the transparency of my soul. See, what we want is to be fully loved and barely known. But that's why church community is so important because it gives you the opportunity to be truly known and fully loved. Now watch. Hard in the Greek is cardia. It's where we get the English word cardiology. You can lose your keys, you misplace your phone. You can even forget your kids at church, but if you lose your heart, you have lost the one thing that matters most. Listen, we don't guard our hearts to keep them hard, we guard our hearts to keep them soft. I am guarding myself against the cynicism of our culture. I am guarding myself against the desensitization of our world. I am guarding myself against the polarization of our nation's narrative. I am guarding myself against the feelings of hopelessness and negativity. I am guarding myself so my heart can stay soft for the seed of the gospel. I am not so much guarding my heart from something as much as I am guarding my heart for something. And let me be honest. If you follow this Jesus, you will experience heartache. If you follow this Jesus, you will experience betrayal, disappointment, confusion. But here's what I've learned. I can trust the one who is familiar with my suffering. I can trust the one who was despised and rejected by mankind. 
I can trust the one who is acquainted with grief, despised and held in low esteem. I can trust the one who made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The one who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. That is a God that I can trust with my heart. Trust me, God knows what it's like to walk through what you walked through. God knows. He had 12 friends, 11 didn't know what to do with them, one wanted to kill him. That was his friend system. You wanna talk about family systems? His entire brothers disbelieved in him until after the resurrection. You wanna talk about difficulty? Every time he went to the synagogue, they accused him of having a demon and kicked him out. There ain't been no one in the entire world more hurt by church than Jesus, and he still shows up. The cross doesn't eliminate my pain. It gives purpose to my pain. If you signed up to follow this Jesus because you think you were promised a problem-free life, I apologize to you this morning. The center of the gospel is not you, it is him. For unless a man deny himself and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. It is not about my self-actualization. It is not about my self-fulfillment. It is not about my 13 steps to a better smile, to a better health, to a better sex life. It is about denying myself that I may find purpose in the reality of a risen Jesus. Well, I thought it was gonna be rainbows and unicorns and I thought I was gonna win the lotto every day and somebody gave me the millionaire's anointing but I still make minimum wage and what's the matter with my life? And here's the, pro here's the problem, Jasmine, here's the problem. In the Western church, we find God useful but we don't find him beautiful. God is a useful tool for me to reach the next level of life. But David says, one thing have I sought, that which I have desired, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty. Because the way that you perceive him is the way that you will reveal him. And if God is just a useful tool for your own materialism, I promise you that is what you will export into the life of others. But where's the generation of people who are caught up in the beauty of the Lord? No, God don't owe me nothing. No, if I never get another prayer answered, if I never get another question answered, if I never get another miracle breakthrough, if I never get excited in worship again, if all my friends leave me, if my family, did, if I never get what I feel like is coming my way, my worship and my allegiance still belongs to Jesus Christ. Where's that generation? Oh, I found him beautiful. It's like Job when his entire life gets destroyed and he starts complaining to God. And God says, Job, was you there when I painted the universe? Oh, you weren't interesting. Were you there when I hung the stars? Oh, did you miss that, Job? Interesting. No, friend, God doesn't owe you anything. But he's the father of light. And in him, there is no shadow of turning and he delights in his children, and every good and perfect gift come from the Father above. Could you just trust God with the timeline of your blessing? Could you just trust him? 
It's like when my eight-year-old asks if he can drive the car, the answer is no, not because I hate him, but because I love him. But because I know something about his development, he's still got things to learn before he's 16 and can get a permit. He's still got things to learn. Now, he doesn't know what he has to learn. Sometimes he thinks dad is just being mean. He doesn't always understand. But at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to be a father if I want to appropriately develop my son. And sometimes we're asking God for things. We put our 25-cent prayer into the vending machine and we get offended when an answer don't pop out in 30 minutes. Listen, you might think you have a microwave God, but you have a crockpot God. Give him time to work. God know what you need when you need it. God know what you need when you need it. David says, I was young and now I'm old, but God's people are never forsaken. The righteous never go hungry. Why don't you just go ahead and trust God? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall not have a spirit of poverty. I shall not grumble and complain. If we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise, what do you enter into when all you got is grumbling and complaints? Watch what happens here. Verse two, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul writes this culture, they're steeped in all this philosophy. They think they're so smart. Paul says the foolishness of God is wiser than the most wisdom of man. Paul says, I could have come to you with fancy words. But instead, I came to you with a demonstration of God's power and spirit. He writes to the church, he says, let me be just real clear. It is now the time for the plain telling of truth. I never thought it would be so controversial to say plain truths. But maybe that's because our churches have become so accustomed to complicated lies. I refuse to hide behind things like nuance, cowardice, or ambiguity when it is simply time to tell the plain truth. And here is the plain truth of the Orthodox Church for the last 2,000 years. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, that he descended into hell, but on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And there is still no other name under heaven by which men must be saved outside the name of Jesus. Here's the problem. Our churches have moved so far in the wrong direction that it sounds like revival when you just tell the truth. In a culture built on lies, two plus two equals four sounds like revival. But listen, the lake belongs to liars and cowards. The future belongs to the courageous. Friend, that is who you are. That is who we are. It is simply time for the plain telling of truth. Jesus doesn't just say, I have truth. He says, I am truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. Oh, Jesus is the truth. Now watch, watch what happens. Verse four, this is Paul, he's talking to the church. 
He says, the God of this age who is Satan, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Hear me. I don't get upset when the world acts like the world. I get concerned when the church acts like the culture. Hear me. The world has been blinded by the enemy. The answer to this blindness is found in preaching, hear me very carefully, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is not just your savior, he is your king and he is your commander. Listen, don't reduce Jesus to your weird cosmic boyfriend. It's weird the way that some of these pagans talk about Jesus. It's just odd to me. You know, it's just Jesus. We're just kind of this mushy gushy, and we're just kind of, you know, floating in the cosmic unity. You know, it's, it's the frequencies, man. It's the vibes, and it's just, it's love. It's love. It's love. Listen. The Bible says God is love. It does not say love is God. That's the difference. That's the difference. No, I can't reduce God to a boyfriend. He the bridegroom. He the bridegroom. Which means this isn't a dating relationship that goes up and down by my emotional frequency of the day. This is a covenant relationship bound by blood. That means I'm in it on good days and on bad days. I'm in it when I get my way and when I don't get my way. I'm in it when I understand and when I don't understand because when I don't understand, I still choose Jesus. Listen, where else are we gonna go? Only he has the words of life. Where else are you gonna turn to? You gonna turn to culture? You gonna turn to Hollywood? You gonna turn to politics? What, do you have? what else are you going? What else has the words of life? No, it's only this Jesus that can make you new. Now watch, watch what happens. Just hear me, hear my heart. Sometimes we are expecting from pastors what we should be receiving from Christ. And then we get upset when we are bitterly disappointed by other people's failures. Hear me, I can't afford to preach me because I don't have the power to save. But I have met the one who does and his name is Jesus. Watch what Paul says in verse seven. This is good. Now, you, know, you, probably, heard a, you probably heard this verse before. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show or to demonstrate or to prove that this all-surpassing power, watch, is from God, not from us. <clears throat> Paul says this, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Here's why. Number one, God has a sense of humor, but number two, he's proving something to the culture. I'm going to use what the culture tried to throw away to become a beacon and a pillar of truth for a generation. <clears throat> This is why he has put treasures in jars of clay, to demonstrate that the all-surpassing power and glory doesn't come from the vessel, it comes from the creator. It doesn't come from the exterior, it comes from the interior. Now, when I got engaged 14 years ago, I put a $5,000 engagement ring in a 25-cent box. Hear me. When I got down on one knee and asked my wife to marry me, she didn't go, oh, this box is so pretty, thank you. 
I just can't wait to wear this box around on my neck for the rest of my life. Because the box wasn't the point, hear me, it was just a container that held the treasure. See, God has placed priceless treasure inside of earthen vessels to demonstrate that the power of transformation doesn't come from us, it comes from Him. Listen, we hold treasure, but when we allow the exterior to dictate the interior instead of the other way around, we do a disservice to the wealth that God has deposited inside of us. The box holds the blessing. It doesn't define the blessing. The box presents the treasure. It doesn't dictate the treasure. Listen, I don't care if you've been sober for three days, you got treasure inside of you. I don't care if you've made life altering mistakes, you got treasure inside of you. I don't feel like, I don't care if you feel like you squandered all your best opportunities, there's a treasure God is getting ready to uncover and this my friend is gonna be the year of God's favor for your life. I got treasure. Watch, I got a river of life that's flowing out of me. Come on, it make the lame to walk and the blind to see. It might even open a prison door and set the captive free. Why? Because I got a river of life is flowing out of me. You know why? Because Jesus prophesied in John 7, verse 37, on the last day of the great feast, he stood up and he cried out with a loud voice, all of those who believe will receive and out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And Jesus spoke these things concerning the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given, but I got good news. His spirit has now been given without measure and you got a river flowing out of your earthen vessel. I just wish I looked like somebody else. I just wish I had talent like somebody else. Yeah, we, comparison is the thief of joy. Don't live your life wishing you was built like somebody else, like you was gifted like somebody else, because I bet you they're thinking the same thing about you. We live our whole life wrapped up in this insecurity and this comparison. No, God made you an original. Don't die a copy. You're one of one. You're unique. That's why the body of Christ is so important. Because when we get together, you're gonna worship God in a way that he has revealed to you. I'm gonna worship God in a way that he's revealed to me. And together we form the facets of the diamond of the local church. Thank God you're you. So that's one of the things in marriage, you know, they say opposites attract and then they attack. Sometimes in marriage, we just wish our partner could just be more like us. If you wanted to marry somebody exactly like you, you should have stayed single. No, thank God we're wired differently. Thank God you're from a different generation. Thank God you're from a different socioeconomic status. Thank God you've had a different set of experiences. Thank God you came from a different family system because it is what you have been through that now flavors the reflection of your worship. And when we gather on Sunday morning, there is neither now Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female. There ain't men servants or maid servants. There ain't Republicans or Democrats. It's not left or right because we are not here to worship our individual stories. We're here to give glory to King Jesus. Now watch. Watch what happens. I love this. Watch what happens. I'm almost done here, but watch what happens in verse eight. I love this. Now Paul says this is so good. He says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but we is not crushed. Watch, 
we are perplexed, but we are not in despair. I might be persecuted, but I am not abandoned. I might have even been struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Now let me read this through a lens that's gonna be helpful for you this morning. We are hard pressed as an activity, but I am not crushed as my identity. I might be perplexed as my activity, but I am not in despair as my identity. I might be persecuted as an activity, but I haven't been abandoned as an identity. I might even been struck down as an activity, but I am not destroyed as my identity. Friend, hardship isn't the disqualification of your calling. It's the authentication of your calling for God has trusted you with difficult things. And my friend, that's a reason to rejoice. Hear me, your particular season of life does not have permission to make you its offspring. For you have received a spirit of adoption. That is who you are. That is who you are. Listen, 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 listen. I can walk through sorrow without developing a spirit of heaviness. Right? I can walk through sickness without developing a spirit of infirmity. I can walk through a storm without developing a spirit of fear. I can walk through the wilderness without developing a spirit of confusion. See, sometimes I think we give too much power to our seasons of life. When the command of scripture is to bear fruit in season and out of season. Watch, my spirit dictates my season, not the other way around. My location is not my identity. My calling is not my identity. My gifting is not my identity. My troubles are not my identity. My hardships are not my identity. You know, as a pastor, people tell me all sorts of odd things. A few weeks ago, I was in my church, I had a young man come up to me and he said, I said, I haven't seen you for a few weeks, where have you been? He said, Pastor, I'm not really in a church season right now. I said, my God. You spent too much time getting your theology from TikTok, man. You confused. Just let me help you. See, we got a lot of teachers, but we got few fathers. Ah, uh, you know, I was just scrolling on Instagram. I already got my fill up for today. Yeah, you're fill up with demons. Listen, you need a church. Not because your pastor is perfect. You need a church. Not because your leaders are perfect. You need a church. Not because you won't ever get hurt or you won't ever get disappointed, but because there is simply no other place for a Christian to be. Listen, church is God's gift to us. I was introduced once. Somebody was introducing me. They said, Pastor Russell's here to preach to us. He's a real gift to the church. I was like, look, I appreciate your honor, but here's the reality. You are not a gift to the church. Hear me. The church is a gift to you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, and to lay his life down as a ransom for many. So we got to flip upside down. No, the church is God's great gift to us. 
That's why we gotta value it properly. Listen, this is not common, this is sacred. Mercy culture is not normal, and I mean that in the best possible way. This is not the church you left. You could be falling asleep in a dead church today that's just trying to raise enough money to pay the electrical bill, and instead you're a part of a church that is a tip of a spear, I believe, in bringing revival and awakening to the nation. You could be anywhere, but you're here. Oh, the church is a gift for you. Friend, we need to learn the art of dictating to our season what manner of spirit we're gonna operate in because our storms don't have permission to prophesy our future. If my heart stays healthy, if my spirit stays encouraged, it don't matter what season I walk through because he is the rod and staff who comforts me. He restores my soul. He lead me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 